there, it's Mike Tramp, and you're listening to White Lion Fever, where rock and roll is still alive like it always has been and it always will be. Welcome to the show for people listening. Uh, it's the first interview of this week's show, but it's the third part of our interview with uh, Pete Jupp. Um, from FM. Pete, thanks for, thanks for uh, joining us the last couple of episodes. Um, pleasure. Just, watch, just watching some of the clips and some of the interviews before I, uh, I chatted to you, it occurred to me that in rock bands, the, the drummer and the singer seem to be the ones who are most at risk of the years catching up with them because it's a physical endeavour, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. Um, and you guys seem to be, it doesn't seem to be an issue, you know what I mean? Like your singer's still hitting... Incredible yeah, high yeah. notes, even though he had yeah, a yeah. he had a heckler on the album who said average, shouted yeah. out average, yeah. and distracted yeah, him. Really <laughs> uh, but but tell us about that. Is there is there a fear of uh, uh, you know what's it like? What what what's the physical toll of drumming? You know, um, the hardest part for me is actually climbing up onto the drum riser <laughs> <laughs> and actually getting back off the drum riser. I've got my knees are a bit shot. And, and it's actually quite painful. Like, I can't jump off of, you know, I can't jump around like I used to kind of thing. Um, but, you know, my, my dodgy knees, they don't affect my playing. Well, maybe some people say they do, but uh, they don't hurt when I'm playing. Um, it's just uh, just climbing up on the drum riser. <laughs> yeah. so I, need, I need a stair lift, I think, you know, <laughs> take me up there. <laughs> Yeah, you're not Lars Ulrich. You don't have a couple of helpers to, to put you up there. Right. Um, well, I'd, I would, if I had the money, I would, you know. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, a lot of, I know I've, I've actually tried, haven't d- dwelled on the old days a lot. I know you probably do yeah. some interviews where people just want to talk about 1986 or something like that. But if you allow me to ask a couple of questions, because you yeah. did some amazing supports, didn't you? You Like, like yes. you know, Bon Jovi, you've already mentioned Meatloaf in the previous program for the people yeah. listening. Um, I mean, when you look at, Firstly, do you have a lot of sort of souvenirs? Do you have the tour book and, the, you know, little souvenirs and the passes from the Bon Jovi tour? And, and how do you rationalise that now? You look back on it and, you know, it was a part of a narrative in your mind, you know, of your career and, and how do you view that period, you know? Um, it, was, it was great. It was great fun, but I actually haven't got any memorabilia at all. Mm. I've, I've given it away. I don't have, I haven't got um, all the FM albums. Oh, in the really? collection no honestly <laughs> you just sort of give them away to people and and never replace them you know I, I haven't I, i've probably got a couple of hoodies which i sometimes wear with fm on i haven't got any you know no nothing i remember giving my slippery when wet pass to my mate's girlfriend because she was a mad bon jovi fan sort of thing you know mm. um but now i've got nothing nothing at all you know just give things away <laughs> and for, for maybe we've got a few um, viewers and listeners who are younger than us, and um, <laughs> and um, and they probably they 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 might look at um, Bon Jovi the way we would look at Fats Domino or Buddy Holly. Right. You know, yeah, like, yeah. So how how would you describe to them what it was like then, and and what it meant, and for, what was it like being on tour with Bon Jovi, and what was the the um, um, the hysteria? That's putting a word in your mouth, I guess. But what yeah, was it but like no. during the day and and after the show, and and why did we why were we into this music so much back then? You know. Yeah, I mean, we we were lucky because uh, 
on the slippery and wet tour in the UK, um, I think we were in, I think it was Newcastle we were playing. Um, and it's when they first found out that Slippery When Wet had gone number one in the UK and America. And it's just lovely being around them. You know, they were so excited, you know, um, and psyched about it kind of thing. They're a lovely bunch of guys. Couldn't have done anything more for us. I remember there was one, one sound check we turned up at or something and they were all hung over. They'd been to a casino the night before. And, and they'd taken a bit longer than they should have done, probably sound checking. And I remember the bass player was holding the doors for us. He said, look, this is us. This is us. We messed up. We'll hold the doors for you. It was great times. And it was the first time, I think, the first gig we did on the tour was Bradford St. George's Hall. Wow. And it was the first time we'd ever been screamed at. <laughs> there, were, there were girls screaming at us. And it's like, well, this is weird. Fun enough, though, you know. Yeah, no, that it, it was it. That tour probably did us more good than any other tour we've ever done. It took us up a level overnight, kind of thing. Yeah, and you now know, they're it, still screaming. They're still screaming. All yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. One more question for the hardcore fans. Maybe there's one yeah. or two of them watching as well. Hopefully. Um, the the next um um what's the what's the next move? Obviously, a live album, second live album for Frontiers. Are you yeah? You've had plenty of time, uh, I guess, to work on uh, studio stuff. What's what's the story? Well, we, we've had plenty of time, but we haven't been able to get together. Mm. Um, so we've been just writing from home. Um, that that is one of the great things about computers. You know, we can all do stuff at home now. Well, Steve can't because he can't even work work a microwave. You know, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, like we, we we've got lots of ideas. Um, really, what we want to do, we want to get out playing live. That's what we want to do because um, we didn't have a chance to promote um, or play live any songs from Synchronized. Right. So that's what we want to do next. But of course, that's in uh, the lap of the COVID, you know, sort of thing. But uh, hopefully, um, so you know, hopefully, at the end of the year, things might start returning to normal. But you know, I, I just don't know to be honest. Yeah, I'm still waiting for my text. If there, anyone from NHS is watching, um, thanks right. very much. I uh, really appreciate it. It's been really fun talking to you. Um, for the people listening, uh, what uh, song can we can we finish with? Oh, another one. Oh, um, let's go with let's go with the slowy, smoochy one, end of the night kind of thing. Uh, every time I think of you.
Hi, this is Pete Jupp from FM, and you are listening to White Line Fever. Welcome back, and our next guest, very special guest from Hookers and Blow, it's, um, it's Alex Grossi. Alex, coming to us from Las Vegas. How are you, mate? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. No, no worries. No worries, mate. I'm doing a bit of research right before this. Um, I know I give, uh, give the job a bad name by doing any research, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, but I, you're actually six years younger than me. Right, I'm like it's unbelievable. Um, you must have been the youngest person in every single band you've ever been in. I always have been, yeah. Actually, no, uh, yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I I think ninety five percent of the bands I've been in, I've been the youngest too. Yeah. <laughs> and is it like, do, do people kind of assume that you've been around longer than you have? Do Do you find people come up to you and think you're you're older than you are? Oh yeah, I mean it's it all the time because you know you're, you know the people you're around, you know, they assume, you know, like I, I've had people come up to me and go, dude, I saw you guys in 83. I'm like, cool. I was six. <laughs> awesome. But you know, like I must yeah. okay. Do I, either I look really bad or you're just, you know, but no, it's, it's, it's by proxy, you know, it's, it's just, it's part of part of the, part of the deal. But yeah, I mean, I, even when I was a kid, like when I was 15, I was playing in a bar band with 30 year olds. Yeah. You yeah. Know? It's always kind of been that way. Cause I, cause I'm in the like old school rock and you know, Growing up in the 90s, everything changed from, you know, over when Nirvana came out. I was still into the 80s and 80s hard rock and everything. So I just, you know, I had no interest in playing Smells Like Teen Spirit at the high school talent show. I aimed a little bit higher. (laughs) Now, we're here to talk about the Hookers and Blow um, album. And the band Hookers and Blow is almost 
almost 20 years old now and it was uh, it is yeah we're, we're going coming up on our 18th anniversary yes yeah and you own the name yourself and dizzy reed so if anyone yeah we trade we trade we actually got a trademark in 2008 yeah <laughs> so if anyone wants yep. to in, in, you know indulge in hookers and blow they need to ring you first basically no just if they want to have a band or put out a record or sell merch all right okay we didn't okay. trademark prostitution and cocaine no. <laughs> all right okay it'd <laughs> be a little harder <laughs> and and i mean it's, it's it was a fun cover band and and um and obviously still is uh but um but but now you've, you've got put out a record i mean how does it kind of happen i know golden robot are involved and um you know that they kind of maybe nudged you along but i mean to put out a, put out a record and this the stuff in this it was recorded over quite a long period wasn't it the, the, the yeah the, it took about three years to get the whole thing done you know um mainly because well, we, we ended up, you know, spending a lot more money than we thought. And this is because Dizzy and I wanted to make something really good. It wasn't a quick little cash grab like a lot of guys do with their little all-star projects. Mm -hmm. It's We wanted to put something out that we're going to be proud of forever. Like you might, you know, you might have seen us live and it wasn't that good. We had an off night. We had a lot of different versions of this band. But, you know, after touring incessantly for two, for like two or three years, you know, we did that the dead day, uh, tour with the Dead Daisies. Mm -hmm. Um, we did a, um, another headliner tour right before that in our own, our own bus. And we kind of got really tight as the unit with, with Johnny Kelly on drums and, um, and Mike Duda on bass. So we, you know, decided it was time to, you know, take this lineup into the studio and do it right. Yeah. And yeah. Golden Robot kind of, when they offered us a deal, I said, huh, I guess, yeah, okay. And, and they gave us complete control. They didn't stand over our shoulders. They didn't want to approve the mixes. They just said, go do your thing. And that's the best thing about you know, with hookers and blow, because you can't tell us what to do. If you tell us to do something, we're going to do the opposite ten times. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like after I guess when Guns N' Roses was in recess and before um, David Lowy came knocking on Dizzy's door, he, he he would have been grateful that he's had hookers and blow right and, and had already had an audience and you know because suddenly you're able to spend more time. He was able to spend more time on it, I guess. But I mean, yeah, was there ever was there ever any temptation to turn it into like a band? you know, writing originals and a serious. No, 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 never. Because, you know, we all, I mean, I write songs with Quiet Riot and, and, um, and other projects and Dizzy writes, you know, he has his solo records out, which I play on as well. Some, some of the tracks that's completely separate. Hookers and blows just covers. Mm -hmm. It's that's the whole point of it. Well, we, you know, we vowed never to put out a record, which we broke that vow. <laughs> and we've so, and we also vowed never to write songs. So maybe we'll break that vow at some point, but I don't see any point in, I mean, who, what are we going to write it? You know, it's if anything we write would sound like Disney solo record or, you know, I mean, I don't, it'd have to be something really different, yeah. very abstract to, to work, you know? Yeah. You, you're, um, you, you, your bandmate in, in Quiet Right, Frankie Benali plays on two songs on, on this album, self-titled Hookers and Blow album. I wonder when you listen to those songs, you know, I mean, I would just wonder how you feel about the whole thing. Does it make you sad when you listen to it does it make you happy uh, it's it's you know he rec he recorded those in the middle of doing like his 15th chemo treatment and, and and he he really wanted to do it he went in and did everything like in one or two takes you know and and just when i hear that i'm just i'm reminded of how strong a guy was because he played like you know you never know he was 130 pounds you know he played like a you know stage four cancer he played like a 22 year old kid in perfect health on those tracks you never know it when when um when you listen to it. So it kind of makes it actually inspiring to listen to what someone can do even at, you know, 50% or whatever he claims to be claimed to be at that day. 
but still sounds amazing. You know, that just goes to show it, you know, talent is talent, you know. Mm. And the people, for the people listening, we're going to hear a song now. Um, I don't know. Do you want to, do you want me to play one of those, one of those songs? Yeah. Or- uh, play no, play no quarter.
and blow and quiet riot and you're watching and listening to white line fever podcast okay welcome back to uh, white line fever um uh, he's back after being on the previous program if you're listening on the radio if you're watching just ignore that um it's uh, rob wild um and uh um from from midnight city and um now the, i'm going to talk to you now about this little section about what may may be a favorite subject may not be a favorite subject Melodic Rockfest in Melbourne. Um, um, you, 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 you managed to get down to Oz at a time when, you know, I guess a lot, a lot of the world was shutting down. Um, and, and it was newsworthy, to say the least, uh, with what happened down there. Um, why don't we start at the beginning with, with the whole story sounds fascinating to me. Um, so, so you get this offer to go and play one show on the other side of the world. Um, Maybe we start there um, with the story because I'm, I'm sure it's a very interesting story. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, absolutely. We we uh, we, I, we got off of that show um, oh, like you know a long time before we we, we you know we we went out to play it and uh, and obviously you know I mean what band doesn't want to go to Australia to play a gig <laughs> you know so it was just like yeah we're there you know and we we uh, we kind of sorted out all the arrangements and uh, and everything was great. I mean. Um, you know, we, we, you know, uh, flights, flights were paid for, hotels were paid for, uh, obviously we, we got a fee for playing. Um, so it was all, it was all great. You know, we were all excited about going and then, uh, and then kind of on the lead up to it, it, it started turning into this kind of, uh, well, we, I don't know what, nobody really knew what was going on because all these bands started dropping out and, and then bands were saying, well, you know, the, 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 um, the visas hadn't been sorted because obviously we, you know, we needed uh, visas as well, uh, which, which the organizers were going to sort for us. Um, so it all went back and forth for a long time and, and, and quite a lot of bands dropped out and the FM dropped out. And, um, I think, uh, crazy licks, licks dropped out and a few other bands dropped out. Um, 
but we were just like, well, you know, we were in touch with um, uh, with a girl called Sapphire who was who was uh, kind of. Uh, she was kind of taking care of us and she kept emailing us and and because we were saying well look is is it going to happen or is it not you know and she's like if don't worry it's happening don't worry your visas are in you know it's all in hand just don't stress out so we just kind of left it and whilst all these other bands were dropping out um we just left it but i've got to say i, I remember we rehearsed we had a rehearsal on the saturday we were due to fly out on the monday and we got home um you know saturday and there was still no you know the flights have been paid for but there was no visas so obviously we couldn't there's no way we could get on a plane without our working visas so uh and then uh sunday came and went and still no visas and we were just thinking well that's it you know it doesn't look like we're going now uh and then i think it was like it was i think it was 6 a.m on the sunday morning uh the monday morning we got an email with our working visas so it was literally about like three hours later where we're, we're you know, driving down to my, you know, to Manchester Airport to, to fly out. So, uh, so it all kind of worked out. I mean, to to be honest with you, we, um, I know a lot of the, you know, a, a lot of people were kicking off about it online and stuff. And yeah, I think there's a certain parts of it that maybe could have been dealt with better. But I'll tell you what, as soon as we got there, we were treated great. Um, you know, everything that we everything that we asked for we got like i said you know our flights were covered our hotel was covered for a week i mean we were out there for a week we played we ended up playing two shows in the end uh we were there for a week you know our, our fee was paid we got paid on time um so honestly we had no no real complaints you know and uh we'd heard a lot of kind of you know all the all these sort of backstabbing and stuff going on online but i thought uh you know Peter Hoffman and, 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 and Pete Naylor are great guys, uh, really, really nice guys. We got along with them really well. And, um, yeah, I think, long story short, I think a, a few of those bands just panicked because, you know, if they'd have waited maybe a couple of days later, that their visas would have been in their email box and uh, they'd have been, you know, they missed out. You know, Crazy Lakes missed out and, and FM missed out, of, you know, playing in uh, Australia, you know, so... Um, what was yeah, it, was it like yeah. there, uh, Rob? Was it? I heard that the, the, the crowd wasn't massive, but what was? How was the gig? It was. It was good. I mean, um, the, the, the the when we got there, um, there was still sort of a little bit of um, controversy as to who who was going to because bands were sort of arriving at different times, and all the bands were in one hotel. So we were there with uh, uh, Janet Gardner from Vixen and, and the Enough's Enough guys and the Reckless Love guys. Um, and then there was kind of rumors that this band wasn't, you know, wasn't going to make it. And this band, you know, someone went to pick them up and they weren't there. But so the, the, the festival definitely did get trimmed down. And unfortunately as well, um, the actual main festival should have been happening in this, this great, um, uh, it was like an old, uh, theater from the 1920s. Mm. Um, can't remember the name of it, but it's it, that it, um no it wasn't festival hall it was uh it, it was it was literally just down the road from where we were staying in, in st kilda um and we were look, really looking forward to playing that that venue because it it looked great you know it kind of looked, almost looked like a little bit like a, like a like a smaller version of sort of like the hammersmith old you know something like that um but then it just got moved to um uh, a club um 
uh, sorry, not a club. It got moved to um, like a hotel sort of complex, but uh, it was cool. I mean, we still had a, a great gig. I mean, we 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 um, we went down an absolute storm. I mean, we we outsold every every other band in merch. We we, we actually got the, the merch list from uh, Peter Hoffman at the end of the day, and we complete we outsold Reckless Love and every every other band on the bill. So we 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 went down really well, and uh, and also prior to that. Two nights before that, we we played a show with uh, um, Reckless Love and uh, White Widow as well. On so we played on the Thursday, and then we played the festival on the uh, on the Saturday. But you know what, we we had a great time. I mean, we're you know none of us had ever been to Australia before. It was March, so it was you know like leaving cold grey England, and you know we we were like five minute walk from the beach and we were there for a week which is so nerdy usually when we go out and play you know we'll go and play in europe or wherever we're going japan and you you play and then you kind of and that's it you you don't really get to see really any any of the, the the cities or the countries you go to but so it was actually great to be just you know we were literally based in one place for a week and we, and we uh we got to know all the locals and <laughs> it was great you know and, and people have flown from around the world to, to come to this festival i mean we had some friends of ours who, who came flew over from the uk uh came to see us and um people from from new zealand and and countries in europe so we were just like in the middle of around the gigs we were just hanging out and having a great time you know it was, it sounds, was, sounds awesome let's have another song what can we play next? Um, I don't know. What, why don't we have? Uh, why don't we play Atomic?
Hey, this is Rob Wild for Midnight City, and you're listening to White Line Fever. Welcome back. And before I introduce our guest, um, if uh, if you have, we're going to be talking about the new Night Ranger album, ATPBO, and the band played on. And if you are interested in picking up that record, um, look in the show notes, uh, because that is uh, where you'll find uh, the links. And without any further ado, uh, the singer and drummer from Night Ranger, Kelly Keegy. How are you, Kelly? I'm doing good. How are you, sir? I'm you're, well. You're in the UK, that's correct, right? I am. My accents are Antipodean, but I am actually um, I'm up, uh, up in the motherland. I'm in, I'm in London. And uh, the weather's a bit calmer than it uh, is where you are, I believe, in, in Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Got a nice yeah. big storm came to at 11 o'clock last night. But uh, all's good this morning. I got all the, all the debris out of the pool. And uh, so now we're here. <laughs> now, I was going to ask you, you know, I've been doing some research and I'm wondering, you've been doing this for so long, doing interviews to promote new records. And I wonder if it's different now because you've got like, um, I guess, people who aren't professional journalists now. They're, they're kind of fans and they're, 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 you know, some of them are trying to push their own YouTube channels. Others are just, they just love you. And, and they've all, everyone's got a little bit of a different agenda. Others are trying to get clicks on websites. Well, is it a different experience now doing press for a record than it was 30 years ago? Well, I mean, you know, we have this, you know, we have the, you know, this, this kind of device and this kind of stuff. But, I mean, I think it's just, it's basically the same. But what's, what's good about now is that you can be in touch with, with fans a little bit more. Mm. I mean, I think back in the day, you were a little more isolated and stuff like that. And, mm. you know, I, that could have been good or bad, but I think, it's a, I think it's a good thing. All these devices, all this stuff, why not? I mean, we're kind of promoting ourselves. You know, so so it's it's you know you have to be a little more involved that way, mm. instead of having somebody to do it for you and all that. So, but I think it's good. I think it's all it's all positive. It's all good. Yeah. The, are the questions harder or are they easier than they were thirty years ago? Yeah. Are they, <laughs> well, I mean, when same? you're talking about fan base, then it's more like, what's your favorite color? You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, oh my god, but um, <laughs> but not always, you know. <laughs> but. <laughs> No, um, we, we, a lot of people think we're going to have a, a flood of records now because everyone's been in lockdown. Um, with this record, did you did you try to get in first? You tried to get it out as quickly, you know, in first because everyone's not everyone because we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, but but you know, is that what we're going to have? We're going to have a lot of records in the next few months. Yeah, I mean that's the thing is that you know everybody can release a record now. You know everybody can do it on their own. They don't need a record company. But we've been associated with Frontiers for many, many years, and and they've been really good to us. And and we've tried to do our best work with them and stuff. And I think we have. The last uh, ten years, we've been really like kind of stepping up the game since we're producing. So it's just it's you know it's like we're not you know we're doing everything now. You know mixing, recording, producing, and so um, we want to make sure that it's good. We don't want to just do it half-ass, you know. We don't want to do it as good as possible. So, it's really time-consuming. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I'm listening to the record. I'm kind of like, well, I don't know if anyone's going to pay for studio time for you ever again because you did such a good job emailing stuff to each other and doing it that way. You know, I don't know if anyone's going to finance you being together ever again. I mean, you've said a, you probably should have done a crappier job. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I mean, there are some expenses, you know, that you do yeah. pay. Like I did drums in a studio for the first time in maybe 10 years. I went over to um, Ken Mary's studio and did drums because I'm in a, ho- I, a, a fairly new house here and I didn't have everything set up. I mean, I can record here, 
you know, like vocals and just, you know, percussion and stuff like that, but I couldn't, I couldn't do drums. So I went and did that. And then we have like a hub or an engineer or co-producer, um, you know, Anthony Fox, who's been working with, uh, with us for many, many years. So he puts all the, all the tracks together in a master and mixes them. Mm-hmm. So we do have some of those, but you're right. We can record at home now. Yeah. I can yeah. send myself the bill and pay myself. <laughs> like that. Now, the, the thing I was referring to earlier was like, it, people are almost in two camps now. You've got guys who are in like six, seven bands at once. Um, and they're putting out stuff every couple of months. And yeah. then you've got like bands that are saying, we're never going to put out another record again, like Kiss or whatever. I don't know, Slaughter, I don't know, like plenty of bands that just aren't putting out any music at all. Uh, and you're kind of in the middle there, aren't you? You, you? you mean, you're not in a dozen bands, but you are still committed to, to putting out new music and not just kind of getting on the heritage circuit. You know what I mean? Yeah, we're all committed to this 100%. And so whenever, you know, every, every couple of years, you know, we like to go to Japan. You, get, you know, I'd love to, you know, we'd love to have new music there. Same thing with the you know, with Europe and we don't play much over there, but we always want to have a reason to go out and play and not just play the old stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we like creating new stuff every couple of years. It's like we get that itch and we got to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's what we've been about, you know, but the live thing is how we got started. So, you know, that was, the, that was, that took precedent in the, in the beginning playing live and learning how to entertain. And then after that, you know, it was like, well, you know, we can't just go out and play. We need music. So we just, it just snowballed after that every, you know, record tour, record tour like that for many, many years until we started doing it on our own. And then we just decided to like, we'll concentrate a few years on just playing live and that's it. And then we'll go back and stop everything and make records, you know, before, you know, you had to do both of them at the same time. Like, okay, we got to, you know, when we're done with this tour, we got to start recording, you know, it's like, no, that doesn't work all the time you know yeah so yeah. you don't get, do your best work unless you're really focusing anyway okay for the people listening as opposed to those watching we're going to have a song now kelly uh, what can we play you want to play something off the new record i know we're pushing a couple of singles right now so there's breakout and there's uh uh bring it all home to me is the second single there's other songs too i mean you choose. I mean, okay. Well, I really like Breakout. First time I heard it, I thought this yeah, is fantastic. So, perfect. is there a story behind Breakout? Is there? Um... There is. I mean, you know, it's kind of like everybody's kind of writing an inspiration from the COVID nineteen lockdown and all that kind of stuff. So, Breakout had a lot to do with that. Brad Gillis came up with this uh, great piece of music, and Jack, you know, had this idea to do Breakout, and then we started to. To, to do it over Zoom calls and stuff like that. And we came up with, it was the last song we recorded, actually. It was just like we needed an extra, you know, what Brad called a barn burner. So he wanted like the, he wanted like this really like up-tempo thing. And that's where, so he sent that piece of music. We came up with Breakout.
Hi, this is Kelly Kagey from Night Ranger, and you're listening to White Line Fever right here. Turn it up. Welcome back to White Line Fever. Um, my name's Steve Mascord. Second part of an interview with Josh Todd from Buckcherry. Welcome back, uh, Josh, and everyone who's watching. You've been watching. So um, the uh, 28 um, songs written for 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 a 10 song album. What what happens to the other 28? Does the does the quality control mean they get thrown in the trash? <coughs> or sorry, the other 18. Does it, or do, do, you, do you work with them and maybe they, they emerge further down the track? I mean, people always ask that question, you know. Um, there's a reason a, a song doesn't make a record and it's just because it's not good enough, you know. And so rarely do we revisit old songs. Um, sometimes there's a good chorus that we may take from an old song or a good verse or whatever. I think there's probably like maybe three songs that are on the cutting room floor that we could possibly put on a record that are really good, you know, maybe, maybe that, but uh, other than that, we always start from uh, a fret, a clean slate, you know, the ground up. Yeah. Yeah. I, with Billy Rowe joining the band, I mean, I'm, you know, old enough to, um, you know, remember Jet Boy when the first album came out and later um, able to go and see them a couple of times. Um, he obviously would, is a principal in that band and in your band, you know, he's, he's new. So, you know, is that a hard thing for a musician to get used to? Is it hard for him to get used to where I guess he doesn't have authority, as it were, in, 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 in your band? You know what I mean? He's, he's new. Is that, a, is that a weird thing or what? <laughs> um, yeah, it's a delicate dynamic when you get into a band that's, uh, you know, already put out eight records and had this, <laughs> you know, huge career. But he's a veteran and, um, you know, he's been in the game a long time. That's why we like him. He's a very easygoing guy. and. He understands uh, what you know his role and and how it's going to take time and and that's that's just it and he's he's fitting in very nicely and like I said we've been touring out here for over a month and it's been smooth sailing and and uh, yeah we're having a good time. Um, can you tell in your experience nine records now? Can you tell after like um, two weeks if it's going to if it's going to have traction? Like after two weeks, is it a can you get a vibe for? how it's going to be remembered and, and, and how it's going down with the fans or, or is that only really something that comes in the fullness of time, you know? Yeah, you can get a vibe on the build-up and the pre-sales and everything. And like, we broke new grounds already with this record. We were number one, debuted number one on the rock charts in the UK. First time ever on any record. Very cool. Uh, I think we were the highest charting that we've ever done in, in Japan as well. And, and uh, I don't know about Australia. That could be the case too. Um, but uh, we are super thrilled. It's, it's very well received. The songs are really great. We're already at over 400,000 views of So Hot. And some of our views of other videos that have been out for years uh, aren't even at that, at that uh, number, you know. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's going really well. Taking it one day at a time, of course. It's only been a week, you know. Um, all I know is that when we play these songs live, it's incredible to see the reaction. They fit in really nice and it's making our headlining set like what I always imagined it to be. There's like, there's absolutely not one bad song in the set, you know, <laughs> not like, not that there was a bad song before, but you know what I mean? Every song is like a hit. It's, it's great. <laughs> Let's have another song. What song can we, we, we hear? For the Let's play So Hot. <laughs>
Josh Todd from Buckcherry, and you're listening to White Line Fever. Check it out. Welcome back. And wow, our guest today, incredible guest. We've got Dolphin Christian from the Datsuns. Hey, guys, how are you? Good. How are you? Good, good. A bit early to someone to be speaking so loudly and enthusiastically, but I've got to do it. I've got to get people's attention, guys. Um, um, look, um, we, you know, I guess the band kind of... Um, you know, just uh, what was the name of the album? A Deep Sleep. You went into a deep sleep in, in 2014. <laughs> and um, now you've awoken into a very uh, different world, um, including, I guess, what we're doing now because everyone's been on Zoom for the last year. Um, is Eye to Eye about? That's a new, new record. Uh, is, that, is it about this new world? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think usually when, you know, with different themes and stuff that we touch on it's kind of like more like sort of classically <laughs> sort of universal things and i guess that seems to just feel relevant to the times mm. coincidentally i mean that whole kind of like uh, everything sort of building up into some kind of weird panic or weird uh strange kind of surreal world we live in i think that kind of feeling is always around and i think uh, i'm 42 now and Everyone was, you know, I remember when I was 18 or 19, it was like, oh, it's going to be the new millennium and uh, everything's, you know, it's all going to come crumbling down. And so that kind of feeling, I think, is always there. I just think maybe for, like, the Western world or whatever, now it's kind of like, oh, yeah, we have to deal with some heavy shit. Yeah, because I'm a bit older than you. I'm 10 years older than you. And we were different. Like, we had Star Trek and stuff like that. And we thought the future was full of um, optimism and technology and <laughs> discover the 
you know, discover the universe. So there's mm. always been a little bit of doom in, in your in your you know in your expectations of the future. Is that yeah. a big statement? Or? Uh, I've always been disappointed by the future because when I was a kid, there used to be in a book in the library about the year 2000. And apparently, according to the book, we were all going to be living on the moon and have all these amazing gadgets. And so when we got to the year 2000, I was very disappointed by the progress we've made. You're going to start talking about Space 1999 again. <laughs> I, was, I had a Space 1999 question. I had a Space oh, 1999 oh. question. Uh, now's the time. <laughs> because, like, you're using that Space 1999 font on your, um, you know, on your website, and then the video has kind of got this... Okay. You know, 70s vibe, and then uh, and then the the cover art is very retro as well. Is that mm. driven by someone in the band? Is there someone in the band who's sort of the artistic controller of all that? Oh, uh, I I would say that's me, but usually I sort of gather a few sort of ideas together and then throw you know 15, 20 ideas at the other guys and say, how about something like this? And then we go out and find artists, and um, we pretty much let them do what they. What they like yeah. and then you know we all like that kind of retro 70s sci-fi sort of stuff i mean the deep sleep album cover you know has that kind of vibe as well so that's definitely a style that we like to mine i mean that the deep sleep cover art is directly from a, a comic book from 1970 i think yeah french right. one yeah right Chris someone, cool. someone who's unlikely to sue hope no no, we, <laughs> no, no it's all we, legit we talked, no we, we talked to the artist <laughs> <laughs> it's uh you know credit where credit is due yeah, um, the, now I, I just, how do you find those kind of like a, a, one of the boring interviewer questions is how's the reaction to your new record been? But really, like there's been quite a, um, uh, you know, I, I guess there's been a, a narrative there, hasn't there, from the first couple of records and John Paul Jones mm -hmm. and all that, and then being indie and then being mainstream again, being a Richard Branson's label and stuff like that. So I just right. wonder how can you organically measure you know, the, the response you're getting and the type of people who are involved, interested and in the airplay and all that sort of stuff. Is it possible to get a, a vibe for that? I think we've always been really bad at looking at those kind of metrics. Mm -hmm. um, you know, especially if you look at the way record sales have been since 2004, particularly onwards, they just go kind of down and, you know, obviously downloads and streaming is going up. Um, so it's quite hard to sort of look at those metrics and we're not, we're never really kind of good at that. Usually our metric is the shows, uh, people coming out to see us play, what kind of reaction we get. Um, oh, they seem to be into, oh, that's, that's interesting. They're like this song from a new record or, or this song went particularly well. It was, you, sometimes it's not the tracks that you expect or it's not the singles or something, but now we can't play. We haven't played together in a couple of years. Um, and it is very strange. I think. <laughs> I also think that nobody really knows those metrics anymore. The whole system and the world around music and distribution and consumption is so weird that you could ask the same question of somebody far further up the chain, as it were, and more savvy, and they still wouldn't be able to give you a definitive answer to that kind of question. Mm. Yeah, because if you look at, like, say, Spotify, which seems to be the, the main sort of streaming source, particularly even they're in, kind in of a little, they're, yeah, they're a little bit. You get your analytics, but you, it's still a bit murky and opaque in the way they pay and in the way, oh, this is here and this is there. And yeah, it's a strange time. So we, um, for the people listening, we're going to play a song now. So um, cool. I assume you want to play one off the new uh, record. Um, have you got one for us? What, what can we play? And is there a story behind it? 
You choose Dolph. No, I was going to say you choose. Oh. Um, oh, my gosh. What is on the record? Let's play... Well, let's... Why don't we play one of the ones that's got a video to it so people can check that out. We should do start with the first single off the record, which was Brain to Brain. And that's about social media and voyeurism. Is that correct? Yeah, I guess, I guess social media is part of it. But it's more kind of, I guess, in a more general sense, it's kind of like looking at the relationships and interactions around you and just uh, kind of enjoying the drama <laughs> too much and it not being particularly healthy. from the Datsuns and you're listening, watching Wildland Fever. Welcome back to part three of our interview with Marcus uh, from Halloween. want to thank him for being with us on the last program. You, If you're listening on the podcast, I, I guess there'll be other ways to listen to this. Um, uh, we, we played Skyfall, uh, which is a bit of an epic, a bit of a sort of uh, stairway down type song, uh, and it's got a real sci-fi uh, theme. Uh, if, you listen to the, if you listen to lyrics on the last episode, um, and it's also got a really elaborate and, um, and, and, and stunning sci-fi uh, video. So I'm going to ask Marcus now about how that video came about and I guess 
you know, you must have felt like you were in Star Wars or something when you when you were doing. <laughs> I I don't know. Kai came up with this idea, you know, which which was actually crying for for and and he had all these parts. He had all that great ideas together. We were working on, and it was it was finished like right before we started the mix. You know, <laughs> it took a long time to get this song together because he came up with ideas, and other guys came up with some ideas for it, and we didn't know how to set the vocals, and who's going to sing what part here and there, which was very very interesting to me as well, as well as as a part be as being a part of a band. You know, I till I heard the final mix, I never knew who's going to sing what part of the song, you know, because yeah. they the singer amongst themselves with with the producers probably decided how they arranged it with the, with the three singers. And so it, 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 it was very interesting for me listening to, to it uh, when, when the first final mix came out, you know, I, and I kind of, kind of loved it this way. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's like, um, uh, for, for your fans, it's like uh, sort of one of these Marvel franchises where all the superheroes come together, <laughs> or yeah. or a Doctor Who where all the old Doctors come together with the new the the, the new Doctors. But we we mentioned um, um, Marcus about how uh, having new members with old members is something that Kiss have done and Guns and Roses have done in in recent times. Um, those bands no longer see any uh, value in recording new music, putting out new music. I mean, you you're obviously not. You know, you're not playing stadiums in America, um, yes. so it's a little bit different. But I mean, you do see value in it. Is it is it is it an artistic um, imperative, or is it a or is it or is it actually a commercial and 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 financial uh, attraction to doing it? I mean, it's it's all in all, it, it's it's uh, like a kind of in the middle. We're not we're not go. We we you cannot do a big tour without having money it's it costs a lot of money so we sell tickets uh to finance it all you know it, of course it's there's a lot of money involved but we spend a lot of money uh uh trying to do uh proper live shows and all that but it's it's and we go overseas we need tickets and we need hotels we have like a lot of people working with us of course it's a big financial aspect to it but it's not really the, the only thing we're doing it's it's just what just what you do, did for your whole lifetime what you did for your life and and this is your life uh trying to to make it better trying to put it to the top trying to to get a step ahead every time you do something of course this is a name you you got in head when you when you do another record when you do another shot you know and this is what we were trying to, to to take it to the limit with the stuff we we did with the last tour and taking it to the limit with the record we were doing now of course there's always financial reasons you're doing it you cannot do a proper record for free you could do it with a four track but is it proper enough to to be you know what you like it to be you know but we just love what we're doing and we just like uh it's 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 a very emotional process what you're doing also playing live or and going back into the studio trying to let the songs trying to let your own baby sound the way you would like it to hear you know it's it's also a very very emotional process all that and that's what music is about you know you put your you put it as much as as much emotions into it as possible you know yeah to yeah. to get the, to get the people you know in in an emotional mood that's what 
what music is all about, you know. You you hear a song and you you you'll be reminded of some situations back in your lifetime, you know. That's it. And that's what I love. That's what we're trying to 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 put in that music, you know. Do you do you feel that there's been periods um since the early eighties when, you know, the, the, the music that you do has been out of fashion and, and what and do you feel that now you know, with bands like Avantasia and some of the younger bands who are doing this sort of melodic, powerful kind of metal, that um, you know, it's your time again. Do you, or, or, you know, like, is, is there is there a feeling that there's a revival and a renewed relevance and resonance to, to the music you do? I mean, with a with a new lineup, with the Pumpkins United, we felt like we're being, especially after the tour, doing the new record. It was kind of a reborn for us, hmm. if if you if you want, if you like. So that's why we decided to just call it Halloween because this is a, the the the. the basic of Halloween, you know, mm. is there's no, we, we, we were talking about calling it something Skyfall plus blah, 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 but you know, it doesn't need anything else but Halloween because this is the essence of Halloween, what you can hear now. I mean, of the newborn Halloween with the two new members, with the two new old members, with, with everybody in there, we, we thought it's a classical lineup plus <laughs> some extras, you know, which is cool. Having all those voices, having all those guitars in there, it, it's just just Halloween, the, the, the roots, Halloween essence, plus plus special editions, so, so to say. <laughs> okay, we'll have another song. We'll come back with the final uh, uh, couple of questions. Uh, what song can we play, Marcus? It's maybe Down in the Dumps.
Oh. I got a white line fever. Going around land down under. Going to turn around the corner way down yonder. <laughs> and I'm not even going to try to rhyme anymore. Michael Monroe here for White Line Fever and Dig Michael Monroe Sensory Overdrive, the album, the band. You get a chance, come and check us out live. We're going to rock your socks off and whatever, rock like fuck. That's what I say, okay? <laughs> come on down and rock on.